This episode of Tier Sheets Payments Podcast is sponsored by Quavo and their first-of-its-kind fraud AI, Aria, capable of integrating with any core processor or chargeback management software to provide issuers and their clients with consistent and compliant decisions within seconds. Hey there, welcome to the Power of Payments podcast. I'm your host, Ismail Umar, and before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a quick announcement. I'm happy to say that after two long years of COVID, we're finally out of Zoom and back into the real world. We're holding Tearsheet's Power of Payments conference on September 15th this year at Current Chelsea Piers in New York City. We're bringing together the top professionals and brands in the payment space to discuss the challenges and opportunities presented by the need to stay ahead of the curve in a quickly changing industry. You can apply now to join the conference by clicking the link in the description or by visiting the Tearsheet website. And now on to today's episode. Today, I'm speaking with Matt Oppenheimer, co-founder and CEO of Remitly, an online remittance service based in Seattle that offers international money transfers to over 135 countries. Remitly says its vision is to improve the lives of millions of immigrants and their families back home by making international money transfers quicker, easier, more affordable, and more transparent than traditional money transfer processes. Matt talked to me about the creation story behind Remitly, how the remittance industry has evolved over the last decade, the potential role of crypto in remittances, and what he sees as the future of global money movement. So here's my conversation with Matt Oppenheimer. So can you start by introducing yourself and talking a little bit about your personal and professional background? Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, Matt Oppenheimer, co-founder and CEO. And I, my personal background is uh, I am from Boise, Idaho uh, in the United States, but I have traveled to close to 100 countries throughout my life, lived and worked on three continents, saw how painful and difficult it was to send money internationally and how our financial services ecosystem is just not designed for people that move abroad. So um, had a few jobs along the way, um, did my MBA at Harvard, a few other things, but um, ultimately started remitly a little over 10 years ago and uh, with a vision to really improve the lives and transform the lives of immigrants and their families by providing the most trusted financial services on the planet. Wonderful. That's really interesting. Can you maybe expand a bit on that, like how you came to found Remitly and how the, the experience was? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, after business school, um, was, I knew I wanted to start a business. Um, I come from a family of entrepreneurs, uh, but I knew I wanted to start a business that had a positive impact in the world that was solving meaningful problem. Um, and so I was patient to find the problem that I, I wanted to solve. I also knew, um, because of my travels, as I mentioned, that I wanted to, um, live and work abroad. And so I joined Barclays bank with all those things in mind. And it was not the investment bank. Um, it was the retail and commercial bank, which means larger scale kind of people management and just a very different job. So I was in the UK corporate bank in London. 
but the former dean of HBS, and he was one of my professors um, before I took the job at Barclays, he gave me the very astute advice. He was like, when you take that job at Barclays, just make sure that you actually have an international experience, like a truly international experience. And London, obviously, is a very international city, but he knew me well. He knew I had traveled to various parts of Africa. And one of the reasons I joined Barclays was they had a presence at the time in 10 African countries. And um, he also said, you will get to London and that's where the headquarters of Barclays is. And there will be a lot of inertia to stay there. No one will, no one will understand why you will want to take a job outside of where the, you know, power center um, is. And so um, sure enough, I spent some time in London and then an opportunity in Kenya came up where I was, uh, would be the head of mobile and internet banking initiatives for Barclays Bank Kenya. And everyone in London was like, why would you go to Kenya? Like, this, you're working your way up the corporate banking ladder. And I took the road less traveled. That led me to most poignantly see myself. I was getting paid in British pounds. I was living in Kenyan shillings. I eventually had to give money back to US dollars. Most poignantly see how hard that was. It also um, gave me the visibility to mobile wallets in emerging markets like M-Peso, which was growing tremendously at the time. And it's really transformed domestic financial services in Kenya. And that's where I found that problem that I that I mentioned, which was, you know, broader financial services for immigrants. But that starts with remittances and fundamentally making it um, easier, giving our customers more peace of mind and uh, more affordable. And uh, took a bunch of pivots and changes in the early days around Remitly to get to product market fit, to get to the scale and size that we're at. You know, we've served more than 5 million customers now. We have over 2,000 employees worldwide. And um, we're really proud of what we've done. But it came, the idea came from making decisions from a professional standpoint that were the road less traveled, that were uh, not the ones that all of my colleagues were advising me to do. But I'm very much glad I did because it's led us to here today. Wonderful. So you've been a part of the remittance industry for over a decade now, because um, as I understand it, Remitly was founded back in uh, 2011. So what kind of changes have you seen in the industry since then? How, how has the industry evolved and, and how has Remitly adapted to those broader changes? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that um, the industry has evolved in that um, more and more people, as you can imagine, are looking towards you know, digital devices for sending money internationally. Surprisingly, surprisingly, the majority of money, even now, is still sent via physical cash locations. Um, somebody going to like a physical Western Union or MoneyGram-like location. Um, and what has changed over the last 10 years is, while that's still the majority, people are rapidly shifting to use digital channels to send money back home. So what that means for our product is customers link their bank account or their debit card, and then they can send money uh, within minutes to billions of bank accounts, hundreds of millions of mobile wallets, hundreds of thousands of cash pickup locations, door-to-door delivery. It really depends on the country our customers are sending money to. But we get funds the way that recipients want to receive them on behalf of our customers. And so I'd say the first thing that's changed is more customers are using digital. And that trend I would expect to continue. Um, it's a, And so that's trend number one um, that I think is, has changed. Um, I think there's also been an explosion of fintech broadly um, that has changed over the last 10 years. But the third thing that, that I was going to mention that I'll mention now that has changed over the last 10 years is 
the world is just so much more interconnected than it was 10 years ago. Um, it was already pretty connected, but keep in mind, like the iPhones, 2022 now, the iPhone was invented in 2007. We were founded in 2011. And while the iPhone was invented in 2007, the amount that the, in terms of adoption and trust for our customer base and for financial services was kind of in the early innings of that. And so I think that with the, with the, with the advent and growth of, of the iPhone and um, just globalization broadly, the world has become so much more interconnected. Um, so customers, I think, are a lot more connected to home um, in a digital fashion um, via digital means. And I also think that uh, the world on the back end is so much more connected as well. Um, and what I mean by that on the back end is take like a cash pickup partner in the Philippines. Uh, what used to happen is an old you know, legacy money transmitter would like fax the details to their Philippine disbursement partner. And then they'd fax it to the headquarters and then the headquarters would fax it to one of the you know thousands of cash pickup locations. And it was this manual, analog, slow, fraught with friction, delays, issues. And so this back-end global interconnectivity, partially also driven by the growth of smartphones and data access um, globally, has also enabled us to not only reach the customer from, from um, uh, that's sending money, but also reinvent global payment rails such that we can digitize it end to end, improve risk systems, improve our integrations with our disbursement partners to where it cuts through a lot of that complexity. And what it means for the customer is peace of mind, instant transactions, more affordability. And we're really grateful that some of those macro trends have, have enabled us to do that. This episode is sponsored by Quavo. Quavo's first-of-its-kind fraud AI ARIA is capable of integrating with any core processor or chargeback management software to provide issuers and their clients with consistent and compliant decisions within seconds. ARIA reduces fraud and dispute losses by automatically collecting all of the information required to complete a reasonable investigation for each fraud case as well as a successful chargeback recovery whenever possible. For more information about ARIA, head over to quavo.com. And now let's maybe talk a little bit more about Remitly's target market. Um, can you tell us about the typical customer that you serve? What, what kind of pain points do they face and, and what kind of opportunities are they seeking out? Yeah, um... Our customers are amazingly, amazingly diverse. So that's the first thing is that they, you know, our customers send across 2000 corridors. And when we say corridor, that could be like US, Mexico, or Canada, Mexico, it's a pairing of two countries. But what it also means is that our customers um, send from about 22 markets that they've moved to mostly in um, North America, Europe, and then a few APAC countries um, like Australia, Singapore. And they send to 150 received markets where, where the, uh, most of our customers move from those countries uh, in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. And so the diversity, when I say that, you can kind of get a sense when you imagine that geographic diversity, but our customers come from countries like India or the Philippines or Mexico or El Salvador or Guatemala or Pakistan, or Kenya, or South Africa, or you name it. And so there's a huge amount of diversity, which is one of the things I absolutely love about our business. Um, and with that diversity, there's a range of professions, there's a range of income. Um, our, our customers tend to skew 
slightly lower income um, from most countries that we serve, but not all. And that means that the average transaction size is a few hundred dollars. Um, but the common thread amongst all of our customers is the aspiration to move to a new country to build a better life for themselves and their families back home, make huge sacrifices to do that. Um, oftentimes leaving you know close family members, kids, parents, aunts, uncles, um, loved ones. And um, then by doing that, have this commitment. Our customers call it a sense of duty, a sense of obligation um, to send money back to their families. Um, and we see them do that, doing that very regularly um, and sending part of their income back home. So after they pay, pay for their own rent, groceries, et cetera, et cetera, they're paying for that for their family members, or maybe it's tuition, emergency medical expenses, et cetera. So there's a lot of heart in our business when you really understand our customers and who they are. And um, that's why the 2000 remittlians across the globe get up every day and do what we do is we've been fortunate to build a strong business, but it's, it's, it's grounded in the fact that we serve these amazing, amazing customers that have just been underserved by traditional financial services providers. That's great. I can imagine how that gives you the motivation to keep doing what you're doing every day. So we were just talking about the evolution of the industry. And of course, the remittance industry keeps growing globally. And fintechs have played an important role in that growth by providing affordable and convenient cross-border transfer services. But traditional financial institutions, they have generally been much slower to react to the changing needs of the global remittance industry. Why do you think that is? And what is it that they're missing? Yeah, I think there's I think there's two things that that come to mind. Um, one is the fact that it's just it's really hard. I mean, I lived this at Barclays. It's I think it's really hard to innovate within a larger financial services institution. Um, again, I was doing digital channels. I was helping with that effort and we did, but it's, it's, it's hard. Um, it's kind of, you know, classic disruption. Um, and Clay Christensen at Harvard Business School who wrote The Innovator's Dilemma and talked a lot about disruption um, was one of my professors. And um, it's just harder for big companies to innovate. I think that's just is, is, is what it is. Um, some companies do it a lot better than others though. Um, and I think that the second thing is that the complexity of remittances is often misunderstood. And therefore, it's why there's been Western Union MoneyGram that have been kind of separate from uh, the, you know, like U.S. Bank, I think, in the U.S. context, I think. Um, I don't know if they still do, but I know they used to partner with Western Union in um, U.S. Bank branches because of the fact that it's just a very different business. And so when you talk about large banks, which was part of your question, I think that it, that it that large banks know this, but people looking from the outside don't necessarily recognize the specificity and complexity of building out the risk systems, the user experience, and the disbursement network of billions of bank accounts, hundreds of, of millions of mobile wallets, all the disbursement methods I mentioned earlier. Um, and that's actually why we launched um, Remitly for Developers, which gives other uh, companies access to our network to uh, disperse funds because it is so complex. We've done a hundred plus integrations with emerging markets, banks and financial services institutions. And so, you know, we believe that in a market where we have 1% of the overall um, total addressable market, there's both opportunities to expand our TAM to offer businesses that need to disperse money for their small businesses they serve, et cetera, or for their consumers um, because it is such a specialty 
Uh, and we're excited about Remitly for developers. We're also excited about being able to, you know, do what we do better um, than others in the market because it is the specialty that we do and, and we've proven that we can do it very well. Right. Um, I'd also like to talk to you a bit about crypto. So obviously crypto uh, has entered the remittance space and, and there seems to be a lot of talk lately about the benefits of using crypto for cross-border transfers. What are your thoughts on that and, and how does Remitly look at crypto? Yeah, yeah. Well, we look very closely at it and I have looked very closely at it um, you know, since the early days of Bitcoin uh, 10 plus years ago. And it's evolved over the last 10 years. Obviously, even how we view Bitcoin now versus other cryptocurrencies, stable coins, central bank digital currencies, blockchain, we probably spend the majority of the rest of the podcast talking about it. But I'd say at a, at a first you know, principle level, we watch it very closely. Um, I think we're more proactive about um, partnering with some of the most innovative and large crypto companies out there so we can learn. Um, and uh, you know, two, two partners that we've worked with are Meta um, and their, their Novi product, um, and then Coinbase. And so um, I think what we've learned somewhat via those partnerships, somewhat via our own research with our own customers and um, just knowing our customers and, and seeing customer behavior is that because our business comes down to trust, there hasn't been the interest, at least from a direct-to-consumer standpoint, of trusting crypto um, for any sort of direct-to-consumer international remittance product. Obviously, we'll continue to watch that very closely, but we haven't seen it. The second thing that's inherent in that is there's oftentimes the narrative that like uh, crypto will make remittances free or you know somehow structurally change the entire system. And when you look, at, when you really get to know the business, that the the details are on ramping funds and off ramping funds are the two biggest variable costs, let alone all the fixed costs of compliance, infrastructure, disbursement network, all that. But let's put that aside for a second. If you look at just the variable costs of on ramping and off ramping funds, meaning collecting um, collecting uh, funds from customers via debit card or bank account, off ramping funds, the billions of bank accounts, the wallets, et cetera, that I've mentioned, and so. Um, how would crypto kind of disrupt that is the question when you get into the details as opposed to the headline. And the only way that would happen is if there were one global currency that everybody used to where there was no need to on-ramp or off-ramp funds. And I think as, as at least consumer-facing crypto has evolved, what we've seen is there are regulatory hurdles and barriers. We've seen that a lot, um, that I would argue that a global interconnected financial services system with one cryptocurrency, it's not as much, it's more of a regulatory problem than a technology problem. That's why one global currency has not existed, in my view. And, and I think there's a bunch of other trust and other barriers that prevent that as well. And so as long as customers, we're actually, I'm actually quite bullish on some, some countries adopting uh, crypto uh, uh, more broadly. And in those countries, then just like we send to a bank account or just like we send to a mobile wallet, if there's a country with hyperinflation and there's a stable coin or even a more volatile Bitcoin, like or more volatile cryptocurrency like like. Bitcoin, we can disperse into that um, to the extent there's customer demand. There hasn't been yet, but we can. What we're good at fundamentally is, uh, you know, doing the, the on ramping and off ramping of uh, fiat to fiat currencies. But it could be fiat to crypto. It could be crypto to crypto, etc. So that's one. Um, and then two, uh, there's there's a lot. I won't go into as much detail around stable coins, blockchain, etc. But I think there could be interesting back end applicability. 
um, in terms of imp improving global payment rails with, with blockchain technology. Again, we haven't seen anything um, that's been transformative yet, which is why we haven't announced anything, but we keep our, our ear very closely, our, our hand very closely on the pulse there. And um, we're, we're monitoring and, and seeing as technology evolves what could be useful to us as a, a B2B solution um, on, on the back end. So like I said, we could talk probably for 30 minutes about crypto alone, but those are my broad thoughts. <laughs> yeah, thanks for sharing your thoughts on that. Um, so I'd, I'd also like to get your thoughts about the, the future of the space. Um, where, where do you see the global remittance industry headed in, in the coming years? Um, what, what can we expect? Um, I think that that trend of, of more customers using digital devices to send money international, internationally will continue. Um, it was accelerated by COVID, as you can imagine. But once customers have made that shift from a physical cash location to a digital device, and they've built that trust, which is what usually holds them back from switching. And they have a great experience with us. What we're seeing is really strong, you know, repeat usage. And I think that that also creates an inflection point where um, the communities we serve, um, oftentimes there's a word of mouth, a brand effect. And so I, I think in the industry, whether it's Remitly or other financials or other digital remittance uh, companies, I think there will be a continued shift to digital providers. And more broadly, I think while there has been um, some nationalism and, and protectionism, I think that globalization, if you look at the way the world is headed, the interconnectivity that we talked about, um, will continue to occur in a very positive uh, way. There are currently 250 million immigrants that live and work outside the country they're born. I think some countries these days are much more welcoming to immigrants. I think those will be the countries that will continue to thrive and um, be successful in the long run. And I think that as the as our customers continue to move abroad, as the 250 million immigrants that have already moved abroad and, and, and live and have built lives for themselves in the countries that they've moved to need financial services and need remittances, um, we're incredibly excited about providing that to them. And I think those macro trends are very much in our favor. I think that... Um, you asked the question you asked earlier is 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 the only one I would have added around you know just tell us about about your customers because I think that their thing I'll end with is not repeating what I said earlier because I think that that question um, gave us the opportunity for us to understand who our customers are in more depth but I'll just note that there's often a um, uh, misunderstanding or lack of education around who immigrants are how diverse they are, how remarkable they are, the sacrifices they make, how much, we didn't cover this earlier, but how much they contribute to the economies they move to, the taxes they pay, the contributions that they make in the communities and countries that they, that they um, move to, and that those countries are fortunate enough to have them move to. And that's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. And especially, I don't know your uh, audience um, for Kyoshit, but especially for folks that are less close to immigrants, um, I encourage them to really try to understand what the immigrant journey is like, um, both as it pertains to better understanding remitly and the industry, but also as it pertains to understanding um, uh, what makes the world go round in so many ways, because the impact that immigrants have on the planet is unbelievably um, remarkable. And I think it's often underappreciated. So I'll end with that. Awesome. Matt, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. Likewise. Thanks, Ismail. Have a great day. You just heard my conversation with Matt Oppenheimer, co-founder and CEO at Remitly. 
You can read the full transcript of our conversation on the Tearsheet website. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. As always, thanks a lot for joining me today and I will catch you back here in two weeks. Thank you.